What if part of Sabbath rest is turning our gaze away from our to-do lists and our work and our accomplishments or our lack thereof and instead fixing our attention on what God has done? What if part of what's going on in the Sabbath is an invitation to stop being so obsessed with what we're doing and pay attention again to what God has done and is doing? Welcome to the Missing Voices podcast. I'm your co-host, Caitlin Posey, and this podcast is all about youth ministry, young people on the margins of society and the church, and how we might better love, serve, and learn from those young people. We're convinced that these often overlooked or forgotten adolescents belong in the church and that our youth ministry should take them seriously. So with each episode, we'll take a look at these ideas and together wrestle with what the future of youth ministry might just look like. Let's dive in. Hello, lovely people, and welcome to the Missing Voices podcast. Today, I'm excited to introduce Dr. Nate Stuckey from Princeton Theological Seminary on the podcast. Before I do, I want to frame these next few episodes that we'll be introducing you guys to. This is unofficially called our Flagler College Youth Ministry Forum series because we want to bring you all along to that conference that took place back in February. And the reason we want to bring you all along to this event is because of the people. We had an amazing cohort of speakers come last February and address our audience. They offered keynotes and workshops and TED Talk styles. So what we did was we captured all of the content during the forum and decided to share it with our broader audience here on the podcast. So we do hope you enjoy these next few episodes. Today, I would like to introduce our keynote for the forum Dr. Nate Stuckey from Princeton Seminary. Nate runs the Farminary Project over at Princeton Seminary, which is a small-scale sustainable farm a couple minutes from the main campus. He has background in farming. He lived in Kansas and later got his MDiv and PhD from Princeton Seminary and is now the director of this Farminary Project, where theological education and concepts of farming kind of just meet. So it's a really creative way to engage seminary students in theological education. It is also just a very magical place for students who are studying all the time in books and in libraries. It's nice to be able to get outside and get your hands in the soil and have a different kind of educational experience. So Nate offers a lot of his gifts at the farm, and it's become somewhat of a sanctuary for students and for the community at large. So we're grateful for Nate to have agreed to be our keynote for the past forum. He will be talking to you today about Sabbath. This is part one of his two-part series, so you're listening to his Friday night keynote address. Welcome, Dr. Nate Stuckey. What I will be presenting today and tomorrow grows uh, largely out of the work of uh, this book. I tell people regularly, it's actually a terrible idea to write a book about the Sabbath. 
Uh, one is a boatload of work to write a book. Uh, uh, and when the is rest, it feels odd. And then, if by chance on the journey of writing a book about the Sabbath, you actually crawl inside the Sabbath for a moment, and you think, oh my goodness, I, I'm, I'm there. I, this is Sabbath. And then all of a sudden, wait a minute, is this primary research? i got to write this down. And then you, you lose it. Um, but what I'm going to present uh, comes from the better part of 20 years of thinking and, and researching and, and trying to live a, a, a journey that is marked somehow by Sabbath with this conviction that some, somewhere God is in that. I hope what I share this weekend will be helpful. I want to... Oh, yeah. Okay, so I want... <laughs> uh, we're going to think about our unusual turn here. When you think Sabbath... I wonder if Jaws comes to mind. Um, what I'm going to do with Jaws here for a moment is I'm going to try to give you everything that I'm going to tell you this weekend in just the next couple of minutes. John Williams is a genius, right? So many theme songs, right? But this one, this one, about the relationship between notes and rests. And they say, some of them, that music is what happens in the space between the notes. And I think the Jaws theme is a perfect illustration of this. If you take the rests away from the Jaws theme, you lose the song. The song utterly loses its identity if it just starts. It's a different song. It might still have an identity, but it doesn't have that identity. It's not the Jaws theme anymore. Here's the point. I have a deep conviction that only grows with the passage of time that rest and identity are inextricably related. Rest and identity are inextricably related. You mess with the frequency and the duration of the rests, you mess with the identity of the song. You mess with the frequency and the duration of the rests, perhaps you mess with the identity of the person or the community. At some level, I don't think this is a mystery to anybody. You become a different person, sleep deprived. Ask the people who live with you. <coughs> the challenge, of course, is when you've been listening to the song long enough without the rest, you forgot the identity that once was. And so part of the reason I'm here is that I think something has gone sideways in our relationship with rest. There are many places we could start um, in our, our journey with rest. Um, but before we go there, I, I, I'm going to share a story. Um, a week ago, I got a chance to talk about Sabbath and young people uh, in Kansas. I grew up in Kansas, had an invitation to go back there 
And I sat in a room, uh, uh, smaller than this, with, with a bunch of youth partners. And we brainstormed, what are the characteristics of an ideal youth? Like, if you think about it just from society's perspective, what are the characteristics of an ideal youth? And we came up with a list. Here's a representative sample. The ideal youth, from society's perspective, they should be smart, have a good GPA, a strong resume, tech savvy, YouTube famous, uh, athletic, musical, some combination of drama, forensics, debate, and maybe not all athletic, musical, forensics, drama, debate, but maybe at least two, right? Um, beautiful, all the, there's so much around uh, body image uh, for all young people. The, the, the ideal young person is kind of perfectly composed. They have a clear plan for their life. We could, we could add more, right? But there's this kind of this sort of weird, or maybe it's not weird, maybe it is this image of what the ideal young person is. And then we brainstormed a second list, and the second list is, well, what about the ideal church youth? What would that include? So we came up with some different things. Well, surely they're at church regularly. They have a great prayer life. They go on all the mission trips. They uh, help lead Youth Sunday, go to Sunday school, if not volunteer for the younger kids, right? Uh, they're joyful. They serve on a church committee or two, plus everything else from the other ones. So we stopped and we, we reflected on this list a little bit, and we thought, well, what do we notice about this list? Well, a couple of things. Not even Jesus was all of these things. <laughs> and secondly, secondly, rest is nowhere to be found. When we imagine the ideal young person, even the typical young person, rest doesn't normally make the list of characteristics. At, at best, I think rest is just kind of this benign thing or we forget about it. At worst, rest is seen as an obstacle. Because how can I have a high GPA and be a great athlete and a musician and on the debate team and go to church and come to the lock-in and all the other things? Rest actually gets in the way. Like I said, I'm here because I believe something's gone sideways in our relationship. With rest, I think there's more to rest than we realize. I believe rest actually tells us something really important about who we are and about who God is and about who we're created to be. There's so many places uh, we could start, as I mentioned. We could start with sleep science, neuroscience, the literature and human development. All of these are unequivocal. Health and vitality depend on adequate rest. If you vow from this moment on to leave this place and never sleep again, you'll die. The big scientists can tell you this. On average, young people, according to the National Sleep Foundation, get one to two hours per night less sleep than they would recommend. There are consequences. Sleep deprivation in adolescence has been associated with obesity across the lifespan, ADHD, mood, mood disorders, substance abuse, violence, reduced immune function, increased stress, poorer school attendance, lower grades, and inability to regulate affect, and of course, sleepiness. We can begin with cultural perceptions of rest and why it is that a Coffee shop in Princeton, New Jersey sells a mug that proclaims that sleep is for the week. But I don't want us to start in any of those places because, well, I don't actually think you need convinced that we have a problem with rest or that the general sort of perception of rest is that it's either meh or actually 
something more sinister. I do think we might need to be convinced that, let, that rest lies at the heart of who God is. I do think we need to be convinced that rest lies at the heart of who we are and who we're called to be. So instead of any of these other places that I want us to start are wrestling with rest with God. So let's go back. Back to the very beginning. I hear it's a very good place to start. The story, the first story, in the first book in the Bible, Genesis 1, 1 to 2, 3, an account of creation, seven days. And I want you to listen to this story tonight as if you've never, well, maybe not as if you've never, I want you to listen to it as if it's the only story we have. The only story we have to tell us anything about God or about creation, including humans, or about Sabbath rest. What does this story tell us? We have to kind of zoom through quickly, but work with me on this. Day one, what does God create? There's, uh, you know, there's the, the void and everything. Day one, God says, let there be, and there was light. And what are humans doing at this point in the story? Nothing. They don't exist. Day two, for the record, I've done this exercise with probably hundreds of seminarians. They all remember day one. And then they blank out on what the rest of the days are. Uh, I'm sure everybody in this room knows all of them. Day two, uh, there is the sky, the dome, the separation of the waters above, the waters below. Humans still aren't doing anything in the story. We go to day three. We get the separation of dry land and sea. There's vegetations, vegetation. Uh, humans still not doing anything. They don't exist yet. Day four, anybody? Excellent. Uh, sun, sun, moon, and stars, humans still not doing anything. Day five, uh, there's water creatures and birds, presumably ducks. We'll get the ducks tomorrow. Humans still not doing anything. Day six, finally, land creatures, all the things that creep along the ground. And then, at long last, humans. God creates humans. Of course, this isn't the end of the story. There's still one more day. Day seven. And it goes like this. It was read already once for us. Listen again. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all their multitude. And on the seventh day God finished the work that God had done, and God rested on the seventh day from all the work that God had done. So God blessed the seventh so God blessed the seventh day and hallowed it. Because on it, God rested from all the work that God had done in creation. And so our question, what if this is the only story we have that tells anything about God, or about creation, including humans, or Sabbath rest, what do we learn? Well, let's start with God. First of all, God rests. I don't think we can overemphasize this point. We profess to worship a God rests. God rests. Why? Why? Why does God rest? Well, theologians have debated this throughout the years, and some will say, well, God, you know, God's obviously been very busy at work, and now God needs to rest. God's tired. That's some of that. It's God. 
right? I mean, God is not like, God's taking a break every day. Stop it. It, it appears. God sees every day. It's good. Most of the day, it's good. And at the end, God sees everything God has made, and it's very good. This does not sound like a tired God to me. Something else is going on here. To cite my sources, in case you really want to dig deep on this, I'm leaning heavily, my interpretation of the, of the Sabbath, of the seventh day, leans heavily into the work of the Swiss theologian Karl Barth. It looks like Barth, but it's Barth. And Barth says this about the seventh day. So there's a number of things that are revealed about God on the seventh day. The first thing that is revealed is God's freedom. God's freedom. You see, the story could have gone different. It could have gone that God created on day one, day two, day three, day four. God's creating. Day five, day six, God creates. But then on day seven, God continues to create. And day eight and day nine, God keeps creating and keeps creating and creating and creating and creating and creating to infinity. But that, friends, is not a picture of freedom. Because if that's how the story would have gone, then God would not be free, but in fact would be bound to that creative activity. Now, if you think about this, have you ever had a to-do list that seemed eternal? That's not freedom. Or it says a being is free only when it can determine and limit its own activity. Hear that again. A being is free only when it can determine and limit its own activity. And this is the freedom that God demonstrates on the seventh day. It sets a limit. It says, enough. It is good. It's very good and demonstrates the freedom to set a limit. This freedom points to a second thing that is revealed about God through the seventh day, and that is God's love. Or it says that at the close of day six, God has found the object of God's love. It is creation. It is humanity. It's the whole creation. God loves creation, and God is not a God who has no time for creation but rather God puts the work down and is there with creation. An illustrative story might help. Um, MIT sociologist Sherry, Tur Sherry Turkle tells the story of 16-year-old Audrey. Uh, Turkle got to know Audrey over the course of uh, extended research interviews um, uh, over a, a good bit of time, developed some rapport, some trust with Audrey, uh, and they're talking specifically about how technology factors into Audrey's life. And Audrey eventually confesses to Circle a dream that she has. It's a dream for the end of the school day. See, every mom, every day, Audrey's mom would come get, here, get her, pick her up at school. And every day, Audrey has this dream. And the dream is that Audrey would climb into the car with her mom, and her mom would just put her phone down. There, the failure to set a limit fails to convey the love that is desired. That is not the love that God shows creation on the seventh day, but rather God sets the limit, has time for, is with creation is with humanity. And so here on the seventh day, we see God's freedom. We see God's love. And one more reason that I'm convinced of. Why did God rest? Joy. Just joy. 
to create, to see its very goodness, its exceptional goodness, and then to be with that goodness. Certainly a source of joy. So we learn about God, I think, in the seventh day, about God's freedom, about God's love, about God's joy. What do we learn about creation through the seventh day? Notice in the verses that were read, the use of the word finish. This is the NRSV translation. It reflects something that's there in the Hebrew as well. Two, two times the word finish shows up in the first sentences. Listen to the apparently confusing use. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished and all their multitude. That use of the term finish seems to look back. It's looking back at the first six days. It's, it's finished. It's done. And on the seventh day, God finished. On the seventh day, God finished the work that God had done. It appears that that use of the term finished is pointing towards this seventh day. So how do we make sense of the fact that on the day, on, on, on day seven, somehow creation is both finished and on the seventh day, God finishes it. Here again, Bart wrestles with this. And it's kind of, he makes this case that it's as if at the close of day six, the entire material created order is there. It's finished. There's no more material stuff to create, and yet it remains unfinished. But if that's true, we have to ask the question, what does it lack? What does it lack that is then given on the seventh day? Rest. Rest. The whole creation remains incomplete apart from God's Sabbath rest. Have you ever felt this in your soul? The fracturedness that comes from a life that knows no rest. The sense that you're not quite whole, you're not quite complete when rest remains elusive. The story suggests that from the beginning, this may have been God's idea. That we remain incomplete, unfinished, apart from rest. Are you with me? Does this make sense? Of God, we learn freedom and love and joy. Of creation, we learn perhaps was incomplete up until this point, but brought to completion, is finished to Sabbath rest. But what do we learn about Sabbath? What do we learn about the seventh day from this story? To get at this, I inserted into my telling of the story this, this question, this refrain, and what were humans doing at this point in the story? Well, day one, they're not doing anything. Day two, day three, day four, day five, day six. Humans aren't doing anything any of those days, because they don't exist yet. And then finally you get to day six, and God has other stuff to create, but then finally at the close of day six, God creates humans. And when God creates humans, it appears that God gives them something of a job description. You remember, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, subdue it, have dominion, that whole thing. It seems like God has been, this whole story has been moving and God creates the humans and gives them the, the job description. If the story is just going to kind of continue its trajectory, day seven, should the dawn should break and the humans should get to work. 
And there again, it's not how the story goes. Instead, humankind's first full day of existence. Right? They're not there until later in day six. Humankind's first full day of existence. Not a day of work, but a day of rest. At that point in the story, there's no possible way that those first humans could imagine that that rest was something that they earned. They had no work of their own to look back on. There was some work to look back on, but it wasn't there. It was God's. Only God's. And the rest of creation. I think we could do worse if we're looking for a starting point for reframing our understanding of the Sabbath than this simple point. What if part of Sabbath rest is turning our gaze away from our to-do lists and our work and our accomplishments or our lack thereof and instead fixing our attention on what God has done? What if part of what's going on in the Sabbath is an invitation to stop being so obsessed with what we're doing and pay attention again to what God has done and is doing? It's a funny thing, you know, talking about Sabbath, sidebar. <laughs> uh, talking about Sabbath, writing a book about the Sabbath, you know, at the end of the day, if they're reading your book or listening to you talk about it and it puts them to sleep, you still win. <laughs> This first Sabbath, this seventh day, for these first humans, sheer grace. Sheer grace. No way they can conceive that they earned it. It's just a gift. Now, if we zoom over for another couple of accounts, this is uh, Justin Forbes in some early acting days. <laughs> there are two versions of the Ten Commandments that show up uh, in the Old Testament, one from Exodus and one from Deuteronomy. And listen to this version of the commandment and pay attention, according to this version of the Sabbath commandment, why are the Israelites, why are God's people supposed to remember the Sabbath? It says, remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is the Sabbath to the Lord your God. You shall not do any work. You, your son, your daughter, your male or female slave, your livestock, or the alien resident in your towns. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea, and all that is in them. But God rested the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and consecrated it. The reason, well, we'll come back. Deuteronomy. Again, the Sabbath commandment, but it gives a different reason. A different reason why God's people are supposed to observe the Sabbath. Keep it holy as the Lord your God commanded you. Six days you labor and do all your work. But the seventh is the Sabbath to the Lord your God. You shall not do any work. You, your son, your daughter, your male, your people, your slave, your oxen, your donkey, any livestock, or the resident aliens, your cows, and your male, your people, slave, for us, as well as you. Remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt, and the Lord your God brought you out from there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. So the rabbis make a big deal as they're interpreting this of a number of things regarding these commandments. First of all, it's the only one of the commandments that mentions holiness. Remember the Sabbath and keep it holy. None of the other ones do that. It's the longest of all the commandments. It has the most words. And for some, that is, I guess, a bonus. Uh, another thing about this, there, the, the uh, uh, biblical scholars will talk about the two tables of the Ten Commandments. 
the first table being those that directing the people Godward, and the second table that direct the people uh, sort of horizontally to neighbor and 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 uh, and land, right? So it's the in the first table here we have uh, uh, um, no idols, uh, don't misuse God's name, all these things pointing us towards God. In the second table we have the things about not coveting and not murdering and not lying, all these kinds of stuff. The Sabbath command is the hinge between them that points both horizontally, vertically, and horizontally. Sorry, geometry is hard. Um, Both vertically and horizontally. Remember the Sabbath, keep it holy. The seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. And it's not just about you and God. It's for all those around you, even your livestock. Something is going on here. Another thing the rabbis make a big deal out of is the only one of the Ten Commandments, and it's in this Exodus version, that's, that the rationale, the reason you're supposed to do it, is in direct imitation of God. None of the other commandments say that. This one, why? For in six days the Lord made the heaven and the earth and, all, and the sea and all that is in them, but the seventh day uh, rested. Why should you rest? Because God did it first. It's the only one of the commandments that does that. And then if we flip over, right, to the Deuteronomy commandment, here, it's not pointing to creation, it's pointing to Exodus. Remember there was a time when Sabbath wasn't an option for you. But the Lord your God brought you out from there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Friends, as, as far as I can tell, there is a thread that runs from Genesis 1 to Exodus 20 to Deuteronomy 5. And the thread is grace. The thread is grace. Notice how the commands don't go. It's not because you got enough work done. It's not because you earned it. It's not because of your social status or your GPA or your income level or the neighborhood you live in or the neighborhood you don't live in or because you have a magnificent prayer life. Friends, the reason for Sabbath is because what God did. Because it's a gift. And so I think as we close this evening, we have to imagine what if? What if it's true? What if it's true that Sabbath rest lies at the very core of who we are and who we're called to be? What if it's true that rest is actually a part of who God is? And what if it's true that there are dimensions of God's being and God's character that we can only assess and access by way of our own participation in that rest? Are you with me here? If it's true that rest is part of who God is, how will we ever understand that from the inside if we're not willing to go there with God? But, but, then, but then the crazy turn. There's no way that rest. What if it's true? What if it's true that it's a grace without which we remain incomplete, but that in receiving we become what if it's the gift that is given not because we've earned it, not because we've gotten enough work done, 
Not because we know how to do it right, but because God is good. Because God rests. Because God gives God's people and the whole creation good things. Friends, that would be good news. Potentially disorienting news. But good news. And I wonder, how might that change our relationship with Sabbath rest? How might it change our relationship with God? Let's pray. Oh God, many times, many times we prefer to think we can earn good things instead of simply receiving them. God, would you crack open our imaginations to the possibility that you give rest, not because we earned it, not because we're good enough or smart enough, not because we're the ideal youth or the opposite of the ideal youth, but because you're good and you're gracious and you give freely. Thanks, everybody, for tuning in to part one of Nate Stuckey's keynote address on the topic of Sabbath. A reminder to check out Nate's book called Wrestling with Rest, inviting youth to discover the gift of Sabbath. You can find it on Amazon or his website, wrestlingwithrest.com. It's a wonderful book. I really encourage you to read it. I've read it and I enjoyed it. So I think you might too. If you'd like to keep up with our work at the Missing Voices Project, check out our website at missingvoices.flagware.edu. All right, everybody. Thank you so much for tuning in to the Missing Voices Podcast and we'll see you next time. Mm -hmm.